Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Every so often, you'll be browsing the web and get a notification that a particular site is insecure. While you probably have a bit of passing knowledge of the purpose of SSL and HTTPS, with all the security nightmares happening every day on the web, it's about time to learn a bit more. In this episode, we'll be discussing HTTPS and SSL in a bit more depth. As developers, we often need to understand both of these things fairly well, but people often assume that you know this stuff just because you're a developer. But before we get started, well, what's been essing your SL? <laughs> Linux audio. So right before we got on to record this, I was trying to test out recording podcast audio uh, on Ubuntu Studio. It has worked in the past. But for some reason, it is coming through just really, really bad. And I'm not exactly sure why. It pops in for a second and then goes away. So something is in the mix. I may, I may ditch Pulse and go to Pipedrive. I'm going to see if I can do something better uh, with that. I'm not, not sure what the deal is, but I'm definitely tinkering with it. I got burned by Windows again last week where it updated the driver for the USB connections on my motherboard and it broke my audio recording setup and I didn't ask for that and I had about 30 minutes of homework to record and I got to spend four hours fighting with Windows and then do my homework so as soon as I can get them off of my machine they are gone so that's uh, basically the deal there so how about you well it is 21 days of prayer uh, right now, we participate in that uh, every January and August. And uh, so I am, I was already getting up around a quarter till five, but I'm going to church from six to seven in the mornings, which is really cool. And I love getting up. Like, I'm very much extroverted. You want to get me up early in the morning, say, hey, you're going to get to go hang out with your friends, like, first thing in the morning. That'll wake me up. But, uh, I didn't realize it, and I've started working on an episode for this, so we'll probably record next week on morning routines. Well, I, I realized it, but I didn't, it didn't occur to me uh, until it got disrupted. But last August, uh, normally what happens is I will get up for 21 days, and then I'll use that sort of to reset me, and I'll slowly over time sort of like attrition, get up later and later and later. Well, I developed a good morning routine since the last one. And so I've continued to get up at the same early hour and do stuff in the morning. You know, it gives me like almost two and a half hours to get things done. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's thrown me off this week, not having my morning routine. Today, I was actually rather grumpy about mid-morning. And I'm like, man, what is going on? Why am I in such a foul mood? Like, I don't understand. Like, things are good. And it, it took till the afternoon before it hit me. I'm like, oh, 
I haven't been doing my morning routine because I've been normally I'm excited to do that. I still am excited to to get up and go and, and do that, but it's just thrown me off. So I am I'm getting used to that, and I'll I'll get used to it and then get back to my morning routine. But uh, I've had to move a lot of stuff to the evenings. So if you uh, if you saw my my calendar, it looks crazy because I put it all in the evening, so I wouldn't schedule something else thinking I had the evening free. But yeah, that's uh, pretty much what I've got going on. Saving money is hard, especially when you're constantly fighting windows. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but also to take action so that you can live your best life. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances with the help of those services. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. What's really nice is Level Up has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So if you are a junior developer just starting out or a curmudgeonly seasoned developer trying to get off of Windows, Lucas has a plan for you. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. So you can buy that Mac for recording. I was going to make a comment about Max at the end, but there you go. <laughs> Thought you might. Figured I'd stop it ahead of time. <laughs> so guys, you can catch his podcast, uh, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who may or may not use Max and who also share how they navigated their careers. You can also learn a lot more at his website, levelupfinancialplanning.com. So as security concerns have become more and more important on the web, there has been a growing movement to make sure that communication between the client and the server is always encrypted. Uh, you'll see this in Chrome. If you hit a, you know, you have a personal website on your intranet, for instance, and you try to hit it, you have to specify HTTP instead of HTTPS. Uh, otherwise, it defaults to trying to go through HTTPS and you can't get there if you don't have a certificate on there. And there are a lot of reasons for this. Uh, for one, encrypted communications are more difficult to spy upon, and they're also more difficult to tamper with in transit, which is really important if you're doing things like downloads of you know executables or something like that, right? You want to make sure that you're talking to who you think you're talking to. It also means that people feel safer dealing with sensitive data online, including things like financial transactions, medical information, and private conversations. To varying degrees, secure protocols also help assure the client that they are sending data to the correct recipient as well. After all, there's no such thing as secure communication without verifying the recipient. Encryption on a transport channel is also important, you know, but it is a uh, critical part of the larger security picture, which is kind of the, the bigger deal. If you can't trust the data coming in, a lot of other operations on that same data are a bad idea at best. No, because HTTPS is intended to help protect traffic on the web, both from people spying on it in transit, as well as people who want to tamper with the traffic en route. While this may not sound like a particularly scary problem, it's actually quite insidious. 
If a third party can tamper with data in transit, they can insert false information or even compromise the client with things like malware. SSL and HTTPS are commonly used on the web to help protect traffic from these sorts of threats. In this episode, we're going to discuss some basic things you should know about HTTPS and certificates. Most developers have to deal with the web to varying degrees, but this basic knowledge can sometimes be a little bit hard to obtain, uh, especially if you've already got a job as a web developer and you're kind of expected to already know it. You may not feel very comfortable asking questions. Um, And in truth, you do eventually pick up a lot of useful information about web security as part of a development job, but it's sort of, it's a passive process at best. At the end of the day, it's probably easier to just directly talk about HTTPS and SSL and what they mean for you as a developer. All right. So let's jump right in with why HTTPS. I mean, come on. Why we got to throw that S in there, man? Yeah. So one thing that is really easy to do is it's easy to put up a fake version of a website by spoofing DNS. DNS is the system by which a host name is converted into an IP address, which allows you to access it unless you memorize the IP address. On an HTTP connection with a poisoned DNS or altered DNS, you can easily connect to a malicious web server with no chance of knowing it, essentially. Now, I've set this up before uh, when I've been testing. And so I've had a test version of a site that's been on a different uh, web host. And I've modified on my system to say, hey, when you get this address, you go to this IP address. And it's not the same one as the production, right? So I can check things like, you know, make sure I didn't screw up links mainly is because I'm apt to do that. But if I can do that for diagnostic purposes, uh, somebody malicious, including state actors, can do that for much worse purposes. Right, right. Now, it's also possible to sniff unencrypted HTTP traffic. This makes it extremely dangerous to do things like enter passwords, credit card numbers, or other sensitive data in a website in any situation where the connection in between you and the server could be compromised. Yeah, and by the way, that means where it's crossing a network cable or going over the air. Um, that that includes, you know, hey, I've, I've got my server in a data center and I think my connection between the house and there is okay. If you can't physically see the entire cable, you cannot make that assumption. And it's entirely possible, even if you can see the cable and it goes through some other device, if it's unencrypted, that device may have a backdoor in it. Yeah. You know, there have been plenty of cases of, of that sort of shenanigan happening. Yeah, didn't, didn't they have some stuff like that with, some of the early home automation. There's there's some problems, I think, still out there with with some of the cameras and stuff that are mm-hmm. either not you know, transmitting securely or they're using an old, like either outdated certificates or, you know, old uh, SSL. Because, you know, you have to get a better algorithm every few years just yeah. because the, the old ones, you know, get easier to crack. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. I, re- I remember either reading or talking about that. I don't know if we, we mentioned that in, it might have been like one of our predictions episodes a few years ago. And we had like a whole conversation about the security around IoT stuff. Yeah. Well, the S in IoT stands for security, just so you know, uh, as a rule. 
sort of like the S in home lab stands for security. Um, yeah, but the idea bet- behind SSL and HTTPS is to take care of both of these problems. First, by verifying that the server is actually the server that you're trying to talk to, and then by encrypting the traffic between your machine and it. Now, the process for actually proving that a server is the correct one is kind of complicated. Uh, as the process for exchanging cryptographic information across a channel that isn't necessarily as secure as you'd like. Asymmetric encryption is a big part of how this whole thing works. Yeah, I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people is if a server demands a an encrypted connection, how do I get one? Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to have to contact that server and get some kind of data that tells me how to make that encrypted connection through a connection that is not encrypted. Because if I had an encrypted connection, I would be having an encrypted communication with the server already. And I wouldn't need to get that encrypted communication. You know, there's, there's a catch 22 going on there. And, you know, this, this process is built to protect the contents of an online interaction from snooping, but it also keeps parties in the middle from altering or snooping on the contents, you know, while they're going back and forth, um, including that handshake at the beginning. You know, for instance, your ISP, <laughs> Comcast, can't easily add things like advertisements to encrypted web pages that you're visiting, and compromised routers can't add malware or, you know, do other kinds of snooping. And that was an issue years ago. There were some ISPs that were actually injecting advertisements onto pages. Oh, so you would go surprised. to Yeah, you go to your corporate website that was an HTTP and you know, here's here's an ad. And oh, by the way, since we don't watch our ad networks and make sure that you know, they aren't serving malware. The corporate machine just got hammered when you worked from home and you brought it into the office and it nailed everybody. And that is a huge, huge security concern. Um, again, especially on the open web, web where people are not held accountable sometimes when they serve malicious content. Yeah. So next we're going to do a rough overview of what is asymmetric encryption. We, we and by rough, we mean very rough because I am not getting into the math here. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> that is something I stay out of. And the reason for that is, is I don't think I'm good enough to actually write something for production as far as you know my own algorithm. I, I'll happily use someone else's. And one that does not work well is more dangerous in a lot of cases than one that doesn't work at all because if you have one that doesn't work at all. You don't trust it. So it's it's pretty, uh, pretty risky. Assuming you know that it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you don't know that it doesn't work, then welcome to the Dunning-Kruger Club. Yeah. I would say that like ROT13 encryption is better than, is is not better than clear text because at least with clear text, you know it's clear text. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, assuming you can see what's going over the channel. Fair enough. Fair enough. So asymmetric cryptography, otherwise known as public key cryptography uses a pair of related keys, a private and a public one, to encrypt messages, hence the name public key cryptography. Right. Just like that word cryptography. Kind of reminds me of death and crypts. I was going to say, I was thinking like a creepy TV show or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a public key is a key that can be used by anyone to encrypt a message for the owner of a key pair. The owner then uses the private key to decrypt the message. So nobody else can, you can't decrypt somebody else's message with a public key. 
essentially. Right. Yeah, so the public key is used for encryption, the private key is used for decryption. Yeah, but you know, the sender can also encrypt the message or a sender can encrypt a message using their own private key, meaning that their public key can be used, decrypted, thus validating the sender. Okay, that makes sense. So it's, it's reversible. It's in the end. Yeah, yeah, so it's reversible. So either if you get one that's encrypted by the private key, then you can decrypt it with the public key. So anybody can decrypt that. Right, yeah, then, you can prove that who it came from. Yeah, yeah. But if you get one encrypted by the public key, then and you have to only, have the private key to get in. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I don't get into the math because try to process that through your head about how that would work, knowing about you know what you know about algorithms, and that's not something that is easily explainable in audio. I mean, if I had a whiteboard. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to get into it because it's just, it, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't know that it would be easily explainable yeah i mean there's there's really just a lot of math and it's out of scope for the purposes of the episode you know the mathematical underpinnings are interesting you know don't don't get me wrong on that uh it's just as a web developer you don't necessarily need to know that so much as you need to know how these things work and how to evaluate different algorithms to say okay this one's better than this one and I am quite sure there are people who are much better at math than us who have YouTube videos explaining this. Yep. So you can go Google, Bing, whatever you use to find it. Or Yandex it. DuckDuckGo? Is that still a thing? Yeah, I've had their results started getting as bad as Google's here lately. So I uh, actually switched. <laughs> were, they, were they supposed to be more secure? Yeah, and they kind of, I think they sold, may have sold out. I'm not, not entirely sure. Um, well, I mean, I can't exactly blame them because, I mean, if you can make money, make money. But also, yeah. it's kind of annoying, too. So, fair enough. So, the, the, the next one we have is that HTTPS requires an SSL certificate. So, Will, I'll ask you this question as if we're in class or something. What is a certificate? Yeah, and so here comes the fun bit, right? We'll talk about SSL certificates first of all. You know, because an SSL certificate is a digital certificate that authenticates the identity of the website and helps provide information to establish an encrypted connection. So, you know, when we're talking about the public key, that's because you can transmit the public key unencrypted. Mm-hmm. And somebody could say, okay, I've got this key. I'm going to encrypt something and send it back to you over that channel. You know, the channel's not you know encrypted, but the payload can be. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of part of how that handshake begins. It's just a way to be able to get that stuff in the clear without it being compromised. Now, there have been quite a few variations of the protocol over the years uh, as heavier security has been required and weaknesses in the earlier versions have been discovered. I mean, that's that's the way it works. It's a war of attrition, really. It's the Red Queen yeah. from Alice in Wonderland. You run as fast as you can to stay where you are. Right. It's actually officially called TLS, Transport Layer Security, but the old name has stuck. And I remember when uh, we updated to was it TLS 1.2. Yeah, and there was, there was a bunch of like weird Windows stuff that we had to do on some machines that were older and weren't going to be updated. You had to 
do some shenanigans, especially for like, I want to say it was SQL server connections. And I remember like yeah. .NET. I remember large amounts of profanity. Yeah, the, the newer .NETs were, were pretty easy to update, but we still had some stuff in like .NET 3. Yeah. And I think even maybe one or two things in, in VB.NET. And yeah, it those, I remember going through, like we, we stopped work on like everything for a month to just go through all the, the legacy applications and just take them out one at a time. And yeah, it was an adventure. It's a real good argument for a couple things. One is keeping your frameworks up to date intentionally instead of getting caught out by this and going, oh, we're five years out of date because it's going to hit you at a time that's never convenient because, you know, it wasn't convenient for you to fix it before. (laughs) Only five years? That's... Yeah. That, would, that wouldn't have been that bad. Um, the other thing is you probably want to use a library that is fairly stable for these kind of things. You don't want to roll your own or use something that is likely to have wild variations later on yeah. where it breaks your code, where it makes it hard to update. Because um, you really probably don't want to be down in the weeds on this. You probably are doing something else. Yeah. Essentially what it, certificate does though is it serves as a cryptographic proof that the server is who it says it is and it contains information that is useful for building up an encrypted connection or encrypted interaction with that server yeah basically it's the that that part of the handshake that's like all right hey here's here's the information you need to create this encrypted interaction So let's talk about the contents of a certificate. Obviously, the first thing is the URL or URLs of a website. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. There's a public key, which is obviously linked to a private key that is not shared. Private key gets shared. You can't trust the certificate anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, well, yeah. You really keep those under lock and key. Yeah, it should never get out. Shouldn't, but you'd be surprised how many people drop something in Dropbox. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm not saying that it, it doesn't happen, but it should not, for it, for this to work, should not ever get out. It's right. Private for a reason. Yeah. It also includes the authority who issued the certificate. So typically because of the way that, I don't want to get too far into the details, but essentially you have to say, okay, who says this is who it says it is, right? Because if it's not, you know, if it's just, hey, you generated a, a public, you know, you generated a key pair and said, hey, this is Microsoft's key pair. Well, obviously it's not. Um, and so the authority is basically to say, this is, you know, on the authority of something up the chain. So how do they prove that that hasn't been faked? So for instance, you, you'll have trusted certificate authorities uh, in your browser. You know, back in the day, what was it? was it? Network Solutions, I think, was the the company that just used to gouge you on you know server certificates. I want to say it was like four hundred bucks a year or something, which is you know fine for e commerce in in that time period because it wasn't you know democratized. And they would do, you know, obviously they have a key pair in the mix, so you can verify that they are who they say they are, and that key, the public key, is kind of known by the browser, and it will basically say, hey, I know this authority is who they say they are and this authority's key pair is involved here. 
with this certificate. So they say that this is a good one. So you could make your own certificate authority. You can stand up, you know, you put Acme server on a on a uh, Docker container and spin it up in your network and you can generate SSL certificates and say, hey, this is my, you know, this is my certificate authority. In fact, you can make your browser on your, you know, your local machines. You can say, hey, I want to add this authority as one that I trust. And you can do that for your own internal network so that you don't ever have to get a certificate from outside. Yeah. And, you know, there's reasons you do that and reasons you wouldn't. And for a long time, that's what people had to do uh, until Let's Encrypt came around. And then it was like, okay, do I really, you know, do I want to go through all this crazy effort or, you know, is the stuff on here not so critical that I can actually trust a free service for it? Because I just want encrypted communication and validation that I'm talking to who I think I'm talking to, not, hey, I'm protecting, you know, HIPAA information for the president or something. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a difference between protecting passwords for your blog and like PCI and stuff. Yeah, hopefully, like nuclear launch codes and stuff like that are not on the open internet anyway to be touched. Uh, realistically, they probably are somewhere, but um, you know, you, you don't want your server to be the one that gets compromised. So you kind of have to build this based off of you know what the what the apparent risk is. Don't they, don't they have like the two keys that are so far apart one person couldn't reach them? Right. And Wasn't you, that you know, Superman get, 3 or something? You get some dude with gorilla arms. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that part is, is supposed to work. And I'm sure there's physical hardware and all kinds of other interlocks. Oh, yeah. Um, so that gives the, the authorities one part, right? But another part is the expiration. Okay, so any kind of cryptography uh, setup, you know, any key pair, will get broken eventually, especially if it's valuable, right? If it's, you know, oh, yeah, you, you totally broke into my Raspberry Pi and you, you know, you reconfigured, you know, DHCP on my home network. That's probably not valuable enough for somebody to try to crack it with a cray. However, you know, if you're doing e-commerce, you're starting to get to the level where, hey, somebody with, you know, decent tech uh, in an inexpensive area of the world is going to try to break into it. And so they put a expiration on it so that that key gets rotated every so often. So that essentially if somebody has got it or, you know, they're working on getting it, now you just basically broke that. It also protects against people, you know, if a private key gets exfiltrated at some point. Because one thing that will happen, some of these breaches, is that a private key gets out. You know, somebody, you know, they get somebody in there, you know, in the network uh, with, elevated access and they happen to get to wherever that is and they walk out of the building with it but they go hey i'm not going to use it immediately and get busted i'm going to wait six months so that it can't be tied back to me theoretically well if you rotate the keys every so often that really narrows the window in which that can happen that makes sense yeah and then finally there's also optional information about the legal organization that runs the website so the, the official business or entity that, that runs it. Yeah. I question, you know, again, how accurate is that? Well, if your certificate authority is really strict about that and does checks, then it may be very accurate. If they're not, then it won't be, right? It's as good as the certificate authority is. That's kind of the salient point here is to understand that that flows down. Yeah. So the next thing is... How do you get a certificate? Well, everybody gets a certificate. 
Sorry. Certificate <laughs> of participation. Yeah. I got a certificate. Uh, I got a certificate today. I finished a LinkedIn course. We had some uh, some server issues in Dev, and it just like put a halter on things until uh, it got fixed. So I'm like, all right, well, I can't really do much of anything, so I'm going to go over and do some LinkedIn learning. And so I got a certificate on leadership. Woohoo! Go me. Nice. I am certifiable. Wait, no, that's not right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so obviously you've got to have the parts for the certificate. And the first part is a key pair. So you generate a key pair. Um, On Linux, you would do OpenSSL and there's some configuration options and you can tell it, hey, put this crap in a file. And there's your key pair. And that key pair is part of a certificate signing request that is sent to a certificate authority. You know, and that, that payload goes in there. Just the public part. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Pretty sure the private key would not go because that otherwise, then, you know, all you got to do is breach somewhere up, up the chain and you got all kinds of problems. I mean, yeah, you do you anyway, want, but you want to keep your privates hidden. That's the idea here. So, next, you go through a process to prove that you are the actual owner of the website. Yeah. And there's a couple different ways to do this. You know, you can do it through DNS. So you add uh, some data into the DNS entries for the site. Uh, you know, Let's Encrypt does that. That's what I've done in the past. Yeah, you can also do it basically with a file that they can hit and get back. That, depending on your setup, that may work one way may work better than the other. So if you've got a private network and you aren't allowing the public internet to come in, you know, obviously they can't validate with a file, so they got to validate with DNS. Yeah, uh, but the DNS is more annoying. Uh, well, yeah, in some respects, I'm looking at, you know, like I wrote this outline because I was actually, you know, I'm looking at doing some of this. Yeah. So the authority. Yeah. Once you, uh, once you do that, then issues an SSL certificate. Uh, the certificate is then installed on the server and provided to every request. Correct. And then you have to renew the certificate after a period of time. And that will be in the certificate itself to say, hey, when does this expire? So that a client knows not to trust you. Or a client can say, hey, they expired yesterday. I know that's Bob's server. Bob's out of town right now. I, I want to be, you know, a little sketchy and try to trust it anyway. You know, you can in some browsers get around that. Um, or with some, you know, protocols not actually validate if you really, for some reason, felt a need to. Now, you also have to include information about associated subdomains or all subdomains in the case of a wildcard cert. So if I had, well, and I'm, I will eventually have williamgant.com. I've got the domain, but I eventually will have a wildcard cert on that for all the crap that's inside my network here so that yeah. I don't have to get a new cert every time I stand up something else. Just internal for the house. That makes sense. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, I, I think that with some of my stuff, the DNS handled this. Yeah, they do. Um, so like if you've got Let's Encrypt certificates and you've got web hosting, yeah, a lot of them will actually auto-renew. And there's you know, CertBot, essentially, uh, is one of the tools you can use that says, hey, this certificate's close to expiring. Let me ask for a new one. And it does the mm-hmm. whole Let's Encrypt you know, song and dance and gets you another one and puts it on your server. Cool. Yeah. So now let's talk about how does this whole TLS handshake work? Yeah. Okay. So, so the, yeah, 
we probably need to start with terms. Yeah, yeah. So the browser, and we're going to call this the client just for clarity, because it may not be a browser, actually. Yeah. You know, browsers are one way of of accessing the internet. I, I, I've had to explain this to people where they're like, like, well, can you go like click on the internet? I'm like, browser? There's more than one way to access the internet. So you got to be more yeah. specific. And that sounds really pedantic, but no, really, there's no. a lot of different ways. And, yeah. you know, there's things like webhooks. There's a lot of stuff going on over the open internet that is using HTTP as a transport channel that's not a browser. Yeah. And if my middle name weren't already weird, I would change it to pedantic. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, so anyway, the client attempts to connect to a website and request that the server identify itself. That is step one. So it goes, yeah. hey, I'm told you are this person. Are you this person? Yeah. The server then sends the client a copy of its SSL certificate in response. So it's like, yeah, here's the proof. You know, it, it's it's like walking into a bar, right? You, you got a bouncer hopefully going, hey, you know, are you old enough to be in here? And you say, here's my ID. Well, That's let's that. be honest. When yeah. was the last time that happened to you? It's been a while. I don't really know. <laughs> <bar hopping. laughs> it's, it's that kind of principle. So imagine a busy bar as opposed to someplace uh, that sees the gray hair on your face and is like, yeah, you know, dude remembers the Challenger explosion. This is probably fine. Yeah, yeah. No, just, you know, they, they are, at least bartenders are required to, uh, to card you. Uh, yeah. No matter how old you look these days, because uh, people are starting to so die. browsers. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Next, the client checks to see whether it trusts the certificate. So it, it looks at all those things on the certificate, uh, the issuing authority, expiration date, all that jazz. If it does, it signals the information to the server. It says, hey, yo, you are who you say you are. I trust you. Right. Bro. It uses the word yeah. bro. That's, that's important. Yeah, totally. It's, it's bro code, really. Yeah. So the server returns a digitally signed acknowledgement, which will enable it to essentially begin an encrypted SSL session between the two devices. So it's basically kind of back and forth. Right. Is, your, I mean, it's a client, protocol. Yeah, yeah. Your, your client goes, hey, who are you? Bounces back, here's who I am. Sends back, hey, I trust you. Bounces back, all right, here's how we're going to talk. And then the data is sent over the encrypted channel using the information exchanged during this handshake. Yeah, and it's really important because I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding this, that there is no such thing as a permanent connection between any two endpoints. You send data, and then that's the end of it. And then they send something back. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's a stateless channel. Uh, which, you know, means that there's going to be that back and forth as you establish how you're going to talk. Mm -hmm. It's not an open socket where you're sending data constantly. And really, that's an abstraction, too. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I don't know. The term handshake just never really... Like, I understand it, but it sounds more like ping pong. Not Don't think handshake like a business deal handshake. But business, but but handshake in terms of is he a cool cat or not? You know where you got the handshake with like multiple steps, and you got to know them all, or you know the Crips are going to shoot you. Like it's 
it's more like that. <laughs> There's, it's not a single act. It's okay. I'm, I'm validating, validating, validating. They know these steps. Okay, we're good. Y'all, the look that you're giving, Will, <laughs> I'm giving him as well. Just so you know, you know, it's 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 mutual. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it doesn't help that I'm wearing a blue shirt right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. All right. So. Next, the Trusted Certificate Store. So a trust store is a set of root certificates that are trusted by default. Now, obviously, there's a lot of scrutiny here because each vendor has its own standards and its own requirements. Right. And in some locations, you may also find that government entities put their hand in the, this mess, too. No. Um, and they say, hey, you're going to trust our certificates. And, oh, we're not going to let, you know, by default, you can't trust, you know, the certificates from the U.S. or from wherever. You just have to bear that in mind. And also bear in mind, too, that just because a certificate is trusted, if you don't trust the authority, you should not trust the certificate. So, for instance, if a certificate authority for, let's make up a fake country, uh, you know, from Dilbert, Elbonia, right? The, the Elbonian authorities issue, you know, they say we, we are a certificate authority and we're issuing this certificate from Microsoft.com and you're in Elbonia at a, in a you know, cafe and you're trying to get to Microsoft.com. If the certificate authority is from the Elbonian authorities and you do not trust them, you can't trust that certificate going to Microsoft. Yeah. Because it can be redirected to a different server and you're, you may not know. Yeah. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I hate to break out the Dilbert reference because I feel like that, that comic strip was just a little too close to reality for my comfort for most of the early 2000s. But basically the idea of a trust store is to improve security and raise transparency by making sure that the trusted authorities don't issue fraudulent certificates and that they regularly conduct audits for security. I'm sorry, man. I just about said I was in a psychiatric hospital most of the early 2000s, <laughs> referencing have like working, working there, there, <laughs> and like. But the way I was going to say it, and like I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So it it didn't didn't quite apply. Um, what was the that one far from home or something? The the weird one that applied far more side, to, far side. That's it. Yeah, that yeah. applied more to. Uh, my work life uh, back then. But yeah, I follow what you're saying. I follow what you're saying. Sorry. So also you can add or remove root certificates from the trusted store on your own devices as well, uh, which can be very useful when you want to trust certificates from inside your own network without having to pay for certificates from trusted providers as well. Right. So again, you set up your own you know, certificate authority inside your network and you know it issues certs and you just say, hey, every device that comes in here, part of the onboarding of that device or provisioning is setting this authority to be trusted. Any, any certs I issue after that are, are therefore trusted. Then you better protect that server. Yeah. J- just saying, that's a real quick way to exfiltrate all kinds of your data if you do not. I was thinking that same thing, but... yeah. Be real careful doing that. And, you know, if you don't think you can do it, don't do it. Yeah. 
at least not with anything really sensitive. I mean, if you want to do it on your home lab, whatever, as long again, as long as you don't have anything really sensitive on there, like, oh, I don't know, you're storing bank account numbers for yourself or something. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, a lot of people are using like Bitwarden or something, right? Internally, you don't want your Bitwarden server to have a certificate issued by your trusted certificate authority on a NAS that's compromised. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, And there's some other things in Bitwarden too, with you know, like two factor auth and those kind of things. But you could still you could still create some headaches for yourself pretty quick. So finally, we're going to talk about certificate revocation. So if a certificate is breached in some way, or there is a possibility of a breach, there needs to be a quick way to limit the damage. And certificate revocation is how that occurs. Yeah, so when a certificate is revoked, it immediately removes HTTPS from the website, at least until a new certificate can be issued. Uh, and this goes you know, with the certificate authority, right? There's going to be part of, part of the handshake is checking that against that, uh, the authority. And they'll say, hey, yo, dog, this is not a good certificate. You know, we've been told to revoke this. And this process cannot be reversed. That's uh, something that's very important. And there's a really good reason for this, too. Because if it could be reversed, then potentially trying to get in on the certificate authority, you could basically say, okay, all the certificates that were revoked are not now. And everybody will trust them. Whereas, hey, if if it ever got revoked, it's gone. Mm -hmm. That at least limits the damage from that angle. No, you know, the certificate authority that's a major one, uh, you've got other problems. A common cause of this uh, is when the private key for the certificate has been revoked. And that happens, obviously, when that key is compromised. Somebody, you know, walks out of the building with it, um, or you think they might have, even. If you start seeing those kind of paper trails or, or anything like that, you, you really have to get on it quick because it takes a while sometimes for every client that's potentially connecting to check the, the SSL cert again. And so you want to get ahead of this. This also happens, by the way, when the owner of the site changes. Uh, obviously, you don't want the previous owner to be able to snoop on your traffic or suddenly revoke the certificate that you're relying on for your business. Yeah, uh, could be frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Yeah. Which is also why it's really important to make sure you get a good certificate authority if it, if it's critical stuff. Again, the government of Elbonia wants to lean on the certificate authority. They could compromise your server. So guys, while HTTPS and SSL are not that complicated on a surface level, the implications of them are often not really discussed in detail. It's really a shame uh, as they provide a lot of value and they're there for really good reasons that can honestly teach you a lot about how to secure systems in general. Now, while there is a tremendous amount of depth to these topics, they really aren't you know, super duper complex where you can't understand them, where even a layperson can't understand them. And at that level is honestly where most of us are going to encounter them, right? You're probably not doing low level manipulation of HTTPS in your day job. You know, with the possible exception of you know dealing with certs, you know, unless you're making a web browser or something like that. And understanding these basics will help you make sense of a lot of things that you encounter while you're building web-based applications. That pretty much wraps it up. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. 
Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.